My dear Wormwood, I'm curious, why would you ask me whether it's essential to keep your assignment in ignorance of our own existence? That question, at least, for the present time is, of this struggle, has been answered. It's been answered to, for us by the high command. Our policy for the moment is to conceal ourselves. Of course, this has not always been so. We are really faced with a cruel dilemma. When humans believe in us, our existence, we lose all the pleasing results of direct terrorism, and we gain no followers or subjects. On the other hand, when they believe in us, we cannot make them into materialists, materialists and skeptics. At least not yet. I have great hopes that we shall learn in due time how to emotionalize and mythologize their science to such an extent that what is in effect a belief in us, though under a different name, will creep in while the human mind remains closed to belief in the enemy. But in the meantime, we must obey orders. I do not think you'll have any difficulty in keeping our assignment in the dark. The fact that demons are predominantly comic figures in the modern imagination will help you. If any faint suspicion of your existence begins to arise in his mind, suggest to him a picture of something in red tights and, and persuade him that since he cannot believe in that, he therefore cannot believe in you. It's an old textbook method of confusing them. Your uncle, screw tape. If, uh, if you never, am I on? Am I on? I don't know if I am. Okay, good. If you've never read that, it's taken from the Screwtip Letters by C.S. Lewis. And um, it's basically this back and forth conversation uh, between uh, a demon and his superiors, his uncle, uh, but his superior. And it's just this great dialogue back and forth, um, at least from C.S. Lewis's perspective, of how he envisions things work uh, and that's in the spirit realm as it relates to the enemy working specifically against you. And uh, that's what we want to do for the next couple of weeks is we want to talk about uh, the spirit realm. This uh, idea of, of living in, we live in a physical world, yes, but there's also a spirit realm we believe. And what I want to do tonight is I simply want to, I want to talk to you about the traditional understanding of the spirit realm, specifically as it relates to the enemy. And uh, let me just go ahead and let you know in advance, I'm going to be talking about things that maybe you've never heard about, never experienced, or just overall may not believe. And that's okay. What I'm going to do tonight is simply share the traditional understanding. The church is under historical understanding of, of the enemy, of the devil, of who he is, and, and then next week talk about how does that affect us, how does that relate to us. But I want to begin tonight by telling you a story about Ray Mayhew. Now, some of you have heard me talk about Ray Mayhew before. May, Ray Mayhew is a, a spiritual father to Randall and I. He's probably in his mid to late 50s. He's got, a, he's got three or four, four kids, two daughters and two sons. He's a guy who grew up in Great Britain, grew up as an agnostic, but interested in the spiritual stuff. And so he and some friends took a trip to India. Probably he was literally in college age, about your age. And he went as a non-Christian, a, 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 a loving being not a Christian kind of guy, right? He goes over and, and in his pursuit of spiritualism, literally comes face to face with Jesus 
has this unbelievable radical experience and one day he goes from being an agnostic, hating Jesus, to the next, he and his buddy leave on a journey to go from town to town and village to village to share with everyone about this person, Jesus, that they've just met. And so he's in an Indian town, a village, goes up, I guess, to the town square area and begins to share, begins to speak and share about what they just experienced. And a crowd surrounds, and this crowd quickly becomes an angry mob. And they begin to chase him, he and his friend. And so he said they're running and, and they've got their backpacks just running for their lives, literally, but they're about to get killed, literally. And he said he turns this corner, fortunately a little faster than everybody else, they turn this corner and there's this woman there who meets them and says, follow me, I'll get you out. And so they, they're not knowing what to do, whether they should trust her or not. They say, okay, fine, we're going to follow you. So, they, so she starts leading them down these alleyways they never could have found, and indoors and through rooms, all this kind of stuff. And he said that literally she kept this just ahead of the mob at every turn. And so all of a sudden we got to this last alleyway, we get to the end of it, and we look, and there's a bridge a good ways off in the distance with literally nothing in between except just this clear path. And so they're looking around. They can't hear the mob anymore and figure something. They must have stopped chasing them. And they slowly begin to make their way out and then quickly begin to pace, you know, get a quicker pace, get up to the bridge. And she gets to the bridge with them and says, this is as far as I can go. That woman was an angel who was sent by God to protect us and save us from the mob. Now, when I tell you that story, he will tell you, Ray Mayhew, you can go to raymayhewonline.com and you can read all about Ray. He's got all of his teachings, all his stuff on there. I would encourage you to go. It's a great resource. I use it. Ray's just a normal guy telling us this story. And if he were here, he'd tell you the same story except with this cool British accent. <laughs> and the response that you would have to him telling the story would be probably the same that you have and me telling it, it's this. Either you believe it wholeheartedly, saying, that's awesome. Either I have experienced that or I am longing to experience that. Or you say, well, I believe that. But you don't necessarily want that. Or you think it's a little strange or you're the pursuit of it. It's not something you're real comfortable with. Or talking about it, you're like, that's really cool. But it's not necessarily for me. Or there's the third person over here who's like, you know what, I, I really could... I really don't believe that at all. I think it's a cool story, but it's just not true. It's like every other good story. Now, the reality we face in our world today is that there is a whole spiritual plane that we live unaware of for the most part, in my opinion. Either, either we believe in it but don't experience it, or we believe it is real but we never engage it personally, or we just don't think that it exists. Tonight, what I want us to do is look at this historical, traditional understanding of the spirit realm, specifically as it relates to what, who Jesus called the devil, who he called Satan, or the demons that work with him. Now, biblical tradition, I'm going to take you through five or six things tonight that I believe there's biblical tradition in understanding who our enemy is. The first one is this. Biblical tradition teaches that, one, that there is an enemy we face every day, and his name is Satan, or his name is the devil. 
there is an enemy we face every day. And this enemy is opposed to the will of God in all things. He is seen as the father of lies. And John 8.44 describes him as the murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. We have an enemy, according to biblical tradition, and his name is Satan. The second thing is this. He is not equal to God in power or in strength. Biblically speaking, he is not equal to God in power or strength. There's a teaching out there called dualism. Dualism is this, understand, is this idea that in our universe there, are, there is a, a good and an equal, and there are equal forces on both sides, and they are opposed to each other in all things, and they're always at odds. That's what you see in Star Wars, this, the force, right, and the dark side. They're too equal, and you're not real sure who is going to win in this battle. But there's no dualism. There's no dualism in the biblical tradition. The understanding we have to have is this, that biblically speaking, we know that the devil, or Satan, at least as we're taught, that he is a fallen angel, that he is a created being who is not equal to God in power or in strength or in authority. God is infinite, and Satan is created in the biblical tradition, Isaiah 14 talks about this. Luke 10, 18, Jesus references it. And then Revelation 12 actually describes that fall. So living in the opposition of the will of God, the enemy's main agenda is number three. His main, his main agenda on earth is to destroy humankind. His job, his at least biblically speaking, his job is to come and to destroy humankind and keep them from fulfilling the things that God has called, for them, called them to do. 1 Peter 5.8 says this, Be self-controlled and alert, speaking to us. Your enemy, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion looking, looking for someone to devour. Which leads us to number four, which is this. Jesus came to save us from the work of the enemy. Jesus came to save us from the work of the enemy. Here's the thing about the enemy. He is dangerous. He is dangerous. He, he's brilliant. He's a fallen angel. Biblically speaking, he's a fallen angel. He has great wisdom, great understanding of how human beings work. Jesus understands this so clearly that he actually comes and says, let me save you from this. Let me come and save you from this. Tradition teaches that the evil that weighs down the human race is a force so powerful that our life, that, that, our, that our own unaided humanity cannot successfully overcome it. We cannot overcome it by our own selves and our own life and our own strength. We need a savior to save us and to fight for us. 1 John 3.8 says this, says the Son of God appeared. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. Jesus' primary title in Scripture is that of Savior, isn't it? You've heard that Jesus is Savior. You can't be a Savior unless you're saving someone from something. 
And 1 John 3.8 says that the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. He's there to save us. Biblical tradition says that Jesus has come to be Savior, to save us from the works of an enemy who is here to kill, steal, and destroy us. We see this played out again and again in the stories of Jesus where people would bring those who were demon-possessed and he would set them free and he would heal all those who were sick. Do you know that Jesus' most common activity on earth in a sense of a miracle was the casting out of those who were demonically oppressed, who the enemy was getting a hold of them and killing them and destroying them. In Mark, the shortest of all the Gospels, we see no fewer than 13 references to the person of the devil or the casting out of demons from those who were struggling. Historically speaking, it's been understood that Jesus' threefold ministry, the three things that he primarily did on earth was this, was to preach, was to heal, and was to deliver from evil spirits. Those are the three things, to preach and to heal and to deal with the enemy. For he's come as Savior to save us from the works of the enemy. Historically speaking, the church recognizes that number five, this, that Jesus then empowers us to defeat the enemy. Jesus then empowers us to defeat the enemy. Ephesians 6, 10 through 13 says this, Finally, be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God. It says, take your stand against the devil's schemes by putting on the armor of God, taking on his power so that you too can defeat the enemy by your lives. Tradition teaches that we have power over the enemy through the Holy Spirit in us, the active presence of Jesus in our lives. It is also understood that he empowered his disciples to cast out demons themselves. And church history again and again throughout history literally supports this. From the early church fathers up to Augustine and Constantine all the way up to the Middle Ages, even until now, we even see in 1972 that the Pope reaffirmed the ancient tradition of an enemy called the devil by stating this. It is contrary to the teaching of the Bible and the church to refuse to recognize the existence of such a reality or to explain it as a pseudo-reality, a conceptual, conceptual and fanciful personification of the unknown causes of our misfortunes. Basically, he says this. It's against biblical tradition and history to teach the devil's not real and that he's not moving to destroy us. So conclusion is this. Scripture, church tradition, and historical church experience teach us that the spirit realm of angels and of demons is living and it's active. The historical picture of Jesus shows a man who lived his life for the purpose of conquering who he believed to be a very real and dangerous enemy. He then empowered his followers with the ability to conquer the same enemy 
and just set other people free. Historically speaking, there is an enemy who wants to kill us and destroy us, yet he's not equal to God. Therefore, Jesus came to defeat him. And then when the Jesus came, he then empowered us to defeat the enemy in our lives and then empowered us to go and to set other people free. That's biblical tradition of the understanding of good and of evil. So what do you believe? What do you believe about the enemy? Dr. Charles Kraft, he's a theologian, a missiologist, an anthropologist at Fuller Theological Seminary in California, said this, says, though many Westerners retain a vague belief in God, most deny that other supernatural beings exist. Indeed, unlike most of the peoples of the world, we divide the world into what we call natural and what we call supernatural. And then we largely disregard the supernatural. Why do so many people discredit and not believe the supernatural? I think a couple of real practical things. Number one is this, it's invisible. I don't know about you, but it's hard for me to believe in the things that I can't see. If I were to say tonight, I want to introduce you to my friend George. He's a good looking man, isn't he? About six foot two, black hair. Can you see him? Say, hey, George. Hey, George. See, you're idiots. <laughs> because George doesn't exist. Because, you, know, again, you can't see him. Right? You may say that jokingly, but in reality... You would never say hey to George and be completely serious, thinking someone was standing here. Why? Because there's nothing here. It's this invisible thing. And so for us, we are so bound by our senses that it's difficult for us to understand and believe that there may actually be a spirit realm because you can't experience it with your senses. And so it's invisible. We don't believe it. The second thing is this, scientific rationalism scientific rationalism what does that mean there's this thing called the enlightenment back in the late 1700s early 1800s it shaped who we are as the western world today what it did was this it said we think that church tradition is killing us you don't even believe the world is round as a church you believe it's flat you're so behind the times we can't believe tradition, so we are now going to then focus all of our attention on intellectualism and individualism. I can't say those words. Intellectualism and individualism, stating that something cannot be seen, measured, or proven through reason. It simply doesn't exist, or at the very least, should be doubted. We are a byproduct of the enlightenment, whether you know it or not. Our disbelief and struggle with the invisible is a byproduct of the enlightenment. I, I, I appreciate the enlightenment. I think the church and tradition, they were so irrelevant to the world that they actually flip-flopped the other side and said, there has to be more than what we are experiencing seeing. But they went too far and saying, Let's take God out of the equation as a whole. And so we are still reeling from this transition. So where do you stand with the supernatural tonight, the spirit realm? Do you believe in it wholeheartedly and embrace it? 
Do you think it is probably true, but don't think about it much or avoid it at all costs? Or do you believe it doesn't exist? Most Christians fall into camp number two where they believe it is real, but prefer not to think about it or to talk about it, at least specifically the devil part. Even me saying that, doesn't it sound antiquated? You're like, I don't really like that word. I'd rather you call it something else. A lot of us feel that way. The idea that we embrace about it is we just stay quiet, and if it doesn't bother us, if we don't bother it, it won't bother us, right? If we don't think about it, it probably isn't true. I just cover up my head, pretend like it's not there, then it probably will never come across my path. You see, tonight, when I'm going to talk about demons, when I'm going to talk about Satan, or talk about the devil, I, my guess is this, because this is how I used to be. I remember a season, those words that thrown out there, I'm like, mm, I start to cringe. I would actually be engaged, I, fear would engage me. I'm like, oh, and I'm just like, don't talk about that, because I'm afraid I won't sleep tonight, and I'm afraid, and all of a sudden, fear is just birthed inside of my heart. But I want to say tonight that I believe for the most part that fear, for the most part, is birthed out of ignorance. We fear the things that we don't understand. Fear is produced in us when we talk about this stuff because we stay away from it, because we're not knowledgeable, because we are ignorant. I want to say this tonight, and hear me on this one. If you, if fear was birthed in you a little bit when we're going to talk about this, then one, there's maybe a level of ignorance that you just never heard about this stuff before that you need to engage. And two, the enemy very easily could be stirring in your heart because the last thing he wants you to know is, is who he is. That's the whole point that we're getting at tonight. And Corey read that about ignorance. Try to stay hidden. So what do I believe, in case you care? What I'll say tonight is this, about this whole historical tradition of, of the enemy, of Satan, the devil, and his demons. I, I don't understand everything fully, all right? I don't understand how everything works. I don't, fully, I don't fully understand everything is talked about. I don't think anyone does. There's so much to the spirit realm out there. It's just, it's just so beyond our understanding. And I think as it relates to the enemy, to devil, to the Satan, whatever. I don't think that anyone fully understands everything. But what I do believe is this. I believe we have a very real enemy who hates us and desires to kill, steal, and destroy. And I believe that Jesus is our means to victory. I believe the spirit realm is real and active and is something we cannot afford to not believe. I don't think ignorance is an option in this. Jesus cast out demons of people as a priority of his ministry. It's the thing he came to do, to set people free, to be the savior, to save them from the works of the enemy. And if you do believe these stories about demons, my questions tonight is this, where do you think those demons went? Where do you think they went? Do you think that when Jesus died, the demons just left with him? 
historical church tradition says that's not the case. It was a deliverance, delivering people from demons was a continued ministry idea of the church. It was something that the church has continued to embrace, has never stopped embracing that idea. Do you think they are no longer around? I met with a guy named P. Sam back in 1999, going into 2000 in India. P. Sam, when he was uh, 20, probably about 30 years before I met him, a little boy in his children's home had died. And in, in fearing the authorities who had entrusted this child to him, he took the child, locked his door, and prayed for him for 36 hours straight. And people were banging on the door saying, we know this child has died. We know he died. And he didn't, he's like, you got to let us in. we got to take him. And he said, no. And he prayed and he prayed and he prayed. And all of a sudden, the 36-hour mark, the boy coughed. He was completely white and cold, just pale white and cold. And all of a sudden, he coughed and he came back to life. One of my good friends, Ambu, who lives in India, knows him. And the second, the, the second time I was in India, he actually came to visit the kid who got raised from the dead. And I met him and hung out with him and talked to him, kind of. He couldn't speak English. And peace, Sam. So when a man like that comes and shares things with you, you listen. And he said, let me tell you, he said, I've heard about all of these incredible things happening in South America and how the enemy is being broken and his power is being destroyed. He said, where do you think those demons go at the end of the day? I said, I don't know. He said, they come here. Because there are people every day who are looking in the spirit realm, looking for a new God. They're around, in my opinion. And so do you think that Jesus is okay with us not embracing the major ministry areas that he embraced while he was here on earth? Do you think that he came to set people free and to save them from the work of the enemy and to save them from the power of the enemy? Do you think that he's okay with us living in ignorance and not actually engaging the same ministry that he was about? Do you think he's, do you think he's looking down saying, Whoo, I'm sure I'm glad I just wiped the planet free of the enemy? No, I believe he looks down at the church, specifically the Western church, because in Africa and places I've been in South America, I mean, God's doing stuff. I'm going to tell you some stories here in a second. He looks at America and says, do you not know that you're not saving people because you're not dealing with the enemy? Ignorance is not okay. So I believe for two reasons. One, because I am convicted that the life of Jesus as described in Scripture is true. You don't have to, and you may not, and I can't prove it to you. But I believe that the life that Jesus lived on earth is true, as described in Scripture. The second thing is this. I've experienced the spirit realm. I've experienced things. I've experienced and seen things. And I've talked to people who have. I just told you about Ray Mayhew a second ago. I'll never forget David and Sarah with me were in downtown streets of Athens one night. 
And we were, we were about probably like 11.30 p.m. And 11.30, about 11 o'clock, the freaks came out. It was wonderful. We loved them. And we're down there, and, all, and, and David and Sarah come up to me and say, see, there's this guy over here. We, come over here and let's talk to him. I, I, I think the enemy's moving in his life. I think, I think there's a demon because of some of the things he had done and said. Let's pray for him. So, I, so we walk over, and he's, he's walking towards us, and he sees us. This dude, the deep voice, and he says, all of a sudden he turns around and he walks off. And I don't want to chase him. So I said out loud, in the middle of Athens on the street, with David and Sarah right beside me, I'm glad they're with me, I said, in the name of Jesus, I command you to stop. And he goes, and he freezes. And I'm thinking, well, that's pretty cool. And I walk up, we, or we walk up, and I look at him, and he goes, how did you do that? I said, Jesus. He continued, he started to walk again, he away from us. And I said the same thing, he stopped again. And then we took him across the street and we prayed. And I, want to, I would love to tell you that, man, he, I'd love to say some huge, great story. This demon was cast out and all of a sudden he, just, he started just worshiping in the streets. He didn't do that. But I, but I do believe, we prayed that moment. I do believe the power of God was manifest in that moment. A couple of years ago, I was praying for, for someone in my office, not a student, it was an adult. And she came to my office and she said, hey, I want you to pray for me about something. I think you know what it is. I was like, really? She's like, I think you do. I'm like, okay. You want to enlighten me what you think I already know that I don't know, but you think I do? She's like, oh, you know. I'm like, okay, wow. How do I do with, what do I do with this? And then she starts talking, and then and she tries to describe it without saying it. And she says something that says, oh, you think you have a demon? She's like, yes. I'm like, well, let's find out. So we begin to pray. And we pray for about five or ten minutes, and all of a sudden she began to change. And all of a sudden she, she started getting, she started like breathing hard and getting this really mad look on her face. It's like, like that, and I'm thinking something's happening here. So I was like, well, I'm just gonna put some worship music on just for this, because I think it'd be nice and it can't hurt. So I put worship music on, she goes, stop that. I'm like, what? She's like, turn it off. I'm like, you don't like that? She's like, no. I'm like, okay, I'll turn it off. So I turned it off. And it's like, and she's just looking at me. She's glaring. I said, "Are you mad at me?" She's like, "I want to kill you." This is great. <laughs> you know why it was great? Because the demon was giving himself up. When a demon's hidden, he's safe, living in ignorance. But when you call it out and you name it. And all of a sudden, he reveals himself. Man, it's the end of the line for him. And so we prayed, and, we, and I brought someone else in with me, and we prayed, and we prayed for about 45 minutes to an hour. And all of a sudden, she's went, <sighs> I said, her, I said, I said, I said are, you, are you okay? She's like, it's gone. 
I felt it leave. I'm like, great, because I'm tired. I'm not a big fan of hanging out with demons. Our friend, our, our friend, some of you know her, Tammy Hutchins, told a story. Um, I've heard it several times, and I love it every time I hear it. Uh, Tammy's a, a missionary in India, been there since 1999. And uh, before she went full-time, she'd gone part-time uh, for like about six months to a year to this other children's home. And, and while she, she tells a story uh, of the first time she actually dealt with a demon in a, in, a, in a child, she said that there was this little child, this little kid, I forget how old he was, probably like eight or nine years old, who was part of, their, uh, part of the group, and, and that revival had broken out in their home. Literally, Jesus had come. I could... I can tell you, I have a hard time remember all these stories, but I actually have a book that has all these stories in it. This literally this entire home, literally in, in, like, in like a week, all coming to Jesus. Literally, like the kids waking up at 2 a.m. in the morning. She wakes up hearing these voices, and, and it's the, all the children on the roof pray, just praying and singing at the top of their lungs and crying out to Jesus who they had just met the day before and weeping and praying for the other children in the home to give their lives to Jesus. And she tells us one story, this boy who had not given his life to Jesus yet. And they got done with their big thing. He left, went out the door, and all of a sudden, about 10 minutes later, they're, they're knocking and going, Timmy Ma, Timmy Ma. Forget the kid's name. He says, you gotta, you gotta hang out with, you gotta see what's going on with so-and-so. And they bring him in. And he's just, he's just changed. And she said, I looked at him and I knew immediately that the enemy had a hold of his life and doing something. And so she said, I didn't know what to do. So she said, I just started praying and I started just like praying all this stuff. And at one point she said, I even got water and prayed over it and anointed it with holy oil. And the holy water is like sprinklings. I didn't know what else to do. And it burned when it hit his skin and stuff. It was just weird and I didn't know what I was doing. And so she goes on and on and on forever. And finally... This little boy, and I need to know, just backtracking, at one point she, she knew for sure it was a demon when the little boy, in perfect English, and in a deep man's voice, began speaking to her. Now, his little boy hadn't gone through puberty yet, and he couldn't speak English. A telltale sign that it's not really the boy speaking. <laughs> and so she's sitting there, and all of a sudden, with other, with other parts of the conversation going on, this little boy with a man voice in perfect English says, if you tell him to leave, then I'll go. And she said, there's no one else in the room. And so she goes, well, what are you talking about? Him, standing behind you. If you tell him to leave, I'll go. She's like, who? He said, your savior. She goes, well, where is he? He's standing right beside you. She goes, That's bad. you better believe he's standing right beside me. You better go right now. He's going to get you. You better leave right now. She says, all of a sudden, the little boy shook, fell to the ground. And he comes back to completely himself. Now, here's the interesting part of the story. That's actually, that's the, that's the highlight of the story. That's the highlight, climax. But here's something interesting. Little boy, she asked him, what happened? He said, when I left, he said, I saw John who died last week and I called his name and he came running towards me and jumped at me. That's the last thing I remember. See, what happened to the little boy was this. 
what the biblical tradition teaches, that the enemy is there to kill, steal, and destroy. And he found this little boy and he latched on. And fortunately, Tammy was there who actually knows Jesus and prayed for him and set him free. And then he gave his life to Jesus. Now, I don't know if you've ever heard stories like that. I don't know if you've ever heard anyone teach on stuff like this. I hope that you have. I hope you're, like, hope you're yawning back there because you're bored because you've got better stories. I could tell you more. I could tell you people I've prayed for this year, same type of stuff. I could tell you much, many more stories about being in Brazil and seeing crazy things. But there's something, I don't want to, and here's the thing, I don't want to ever glorify that stuff. I want to glorify the fact that Jesus is the Savior of the world who lives on a different plane of power and authority and who's come to save us and to set us free. And I want to say tonight that he wants to, he has empowered you by his spirit. Listen, that you yourselves can embrace the ministry of Jesus and you too can deal with the enemy. You can set people free by praying for them. I believe he wants to do that in you and through you, every single one of us. That's the heart of God. So, what we're gonna do tonight is this. Danny, if you can come forward, I'm going to go into worship. And I'm going to have all my staff come forward, ex-staff that are here. We're going to do a prayer tunnel tonight. You can go ahead and come forward, staff people. Now, how many of you remember the last prayer tunnel that we did? All right, not many of you. Exciting. Um, prayer tunnel is basically this. Um... We're gonna have, I want all of you tonight, we're going to have you start on this side, and we're going to have you walk through, and you're just going to walk through the tunnel. And people are just going to pray for you. I don't want you to stop. I want you just to keep on walking. You don't have to, like, run through anything. 